the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Right, said Fred, and welcome back, finally, to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with Fred Roll and JT. Uh, right, said Fred, indeed, everyone. Um, I'm too sexy for my shirt, and so are you, Mr. Roll. Um, yeah, hello, everyone. We're back again after, what, three, four, five weeks off? I don't know, I've lost count. Um, not through want of trying, but hopefully now we can sort of get to the end of this. Not that we want to get to the end of it, but we've been trying for a while. Um, and sort of wrap up the last few specials. So anyway, this week we are looking at Fatal Extraction. And this one went out on the 25th of December. Funnily enough, it's another Christmas special, 1993. It's an 85-minute episode and it had an audience of 19.6 million. So another strong showing there, Brad Roll. Very strong showing indeed, isn't it? And this is a strange episode as well, because I think it's another one of those ones that's not a forgotten episode, but other than one or two little bits, I mean, this is, does have one of the funniest lines, in my opinion, in it. But other than that, I don't think there's a huge amount of this episode that would stand out. Again, if you said to someone, oh, tell us a moment from Only Fools, something from this episode probably wouldn't jump out as much as some of the others we've looked at. Yeah, I totally get that. These sort of the more feature length ones, although they're brilliant, and I do like this, I like all of them, to be fair, but this has always been sort of one of my favourites. Um, but they don't have the sort of big slapstick moments as much as sort of some of the regular series episodes had um we do get these one-off characters and this one's got another one this one beverly um played by mel martin who was um a tv actress who appeared in quite a few sort of tv things did the rounds as most of these only fools extras did yeah yeah it's quite common isn't it um i quite like beverly as a character yeah. um she's pretty good in this um for her part in the episode and she adds a bit of a good dynamic to it um it's as we go for the synopsis as usual there's a couple of issues I do have of obviously how this kind of plays out it's not like a bad thing it's just something that I think is a little bit out of character for some of the characters if that could probably make more sense when we obviously discuss the synopsis itself when we get there indeedy yeah I mean just a few little tidbits from the uh, lovely jubbly book that I plug every week um the exterior for the casino they used in this episode was the same building they used for the nightclub in Yuppie Love but they filmed it from a different angle and I've never noticed they looked the same so I mean they did quite well there disguising it and um, David Jason, he was quite into singing, but he'd never been recorded before. Um, so they actually got a look-alike, or a sound-alike, sorry, not a look-alike, so you don't, didn't have to see him, to um, record the singing part at the end when um, he's drunk and he's singing along. And um, John Sullivan didn't really like it, so actually that doesn't really sound like um, David Jason. So he, he took David Jason out for a meal, um, plied him with a few drinks and bought him some food and said, please, please, will you sing and I'll record it and he eventually agreed to it but he wasn't really up for it at all in the first place. Yeah oh, fair play it's amazing what a few pints and a bit of food can do for someone isn't it? <laughs> talking to many things after a few pints some good some bad but um yeah fair play. Yeah absolutely um, and also this one was um, filmed through the whole of November and then they had a month to edit it so unlike the last episode we looked at about 10 years ago where they had like what was it a day to edit it and get it out to air which is absolutely mental they had a month to do this one which again doesn't seem that long but compared to last episode i suppose it was bloody holiday for them wasn't it yeah definitely i mean these days editing takes bloody ages obviously it's not like a it's a much more well-oiled machine with technology these days back in the old days it's just like old film and stuff they were using i doubt they're even on early digital stuff back then were they i wouldn't have thought so no i mean obviously i'm not an editor so i don't know how it all worked but i just remember us saying last time how the hell did they get that sorted in about a day wasn't it to get it out and um, aired on Christmas Day. That must have been a fucking work around the clock, that one. Yeah, definitely. But the families are pissed off. Where's Dad? Oh, he's at work. <laughs> they probably liked it when his paycheck came in, though. Oh, yeah. Like, he got a bonus for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have a look at this one, then, Brad? We're on run through the old synopsis. Yeah, let's take a crack at it. Okie dokie. Um, so this one's coming from the main wiki page. And as always, before I start, I'll just do a big shout out to our man, Dan Parkinson, for the opening theme tune. Check out his podcast, Stage Fright. He's on about episode six or seven now. He's done all right. He's put one out every week, unlike us. 
Um, different guests every week, very interesting about behind the scenes in the music industry and well worth uh, listening to. And if you're not into that sort of thing, there's some quite juicy little stories in there as well about a few famous people, although he does blank out the names sometimes when he doesn't want to sort of get into trouble. But definitely well worth a listen. So thanks, Dan, for everything you, you did for us and everything you're doing now. Rightio. So here we go. So with Christmas coming to Peckham, which is suffering from recent riots, Dale Boy has been drinking every night at the Nags Head as well as ending up with a sore tooth. Raquel is not pleased about it since she hardly sees him now. Meanwhile, Rodney and Cassandra have decided to try to have a baby. At Sid's calf, Dale talks about the time he first met a woman at a betting shop in Lewisham Grove when he was younger. Rodney catches Dale gambling at the one-to-one club one night and Dale explains that he is striking a deal with the club's owner, Ronnie Nelson, to get hold of some Russian video recorders for, uh, to flog for Christmas. Rodney pleads with Dale to spare a thought for Raquel. However, the brothers eventually gamble all the way through the night until 8am the next morning, only to be told that Ronnie was not in that night. So that's a fair chunk of the opening there. I mean, it opens with Albert reading the paper and it's all about the riots and everything. So it sort of sets the scene straight off, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And again, we open this episode, we also see some Christmas decorations, which in the early Christmas specials we never saw, did we? But more and more at the moment, they are at least attempting to make it look like it is Christmas. Yeah, that's right. And then Raquel comes in and this this always sort of made me laugh. Obviously, it's meant to make you laugh, but she slams Dale's breakfast down, shouts to him. She's like, Derek, your breakfast has been on the table for 15 minutes, even though she's only just slammed it down. Obviously, you can tell straight away she's pissed off of him. A, she's lying, trying to sort of get him out of bed, I guess. He's been out all night. And B, she doesn't like him eating fried food, which we find out later. You know, that's one of the reasons she's doing it, because she is pissed off of him. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair to her, she really plays like but she's angry at Dell at this point. But mm. the way um she plays it, like it comes across like really genuine, like she's proper pissed off, isn't she? And you have to get a sense of that. Um and then like she's even like saying some really kind of harsh things to him and that she's like, Oh, don't be silly. Dell doesn't even know what winning is and makes some proper like gnarly jabs at him. It's usually it's a bit more tongue in cheek, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, she is quite vicious to him, isn't she? I mean, you can see why though, because obviously she doesn't know at this point what he's been staying out all night for and it would piss you off, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, Dale comes out and he tells Albert that he's um, always oh, dealt with more vicious or violent women than her when Raquel's in the sort of kitchen and Albert says, oh, she's after your blood, Dale. And then Raquel comes out and Dale's like, oh, makes this little noise, doesn't he? When he turns around and sees her, it always makes me chuckle. It does. And I don't think Rodney's in the flat at this point, but I swear we get it cut into um, him on the bus, don't we? And it's Mickey Pierce turns up and he's like talking to... Rodney going, oh, you look tired, mate. Then he turns to some old bird and he's like, he looks shagged out, doesn't he, mate? <laughs> he does, doesn't he? And because there's a, a, um, the laughter, I never actually have worked out what she says back to him because the, the laughter's so loud. I never heard her response and I've never watched it with subtitles on, so I'm not actually sure what she says. That's a good point, actually, because she turns around and she does say something to Rodney. She's probably like, oh, yeah. She's probably saying something like, oh, yeah, you do or something like mm. that. But, you know, you say the laughter track's so loud over the top that... Normally they kind of like pause it a little bit, don't they? Or like they don't, they wait a moment to give their response so the laughter can die down. But yeah, you're right. I don't understand. I don't know what she said either. No, I've just never got it. But going back to Dell and Raquel in the flat, it's quite funny isn't it? when she's like, what time did you get in last night then? I was like, oh, I don't know. It's about quarter to 12. She's like, it was 20 to 2. And then she's like, eat your breakfast, Dell. Well, I thought you said all that fried stuff was bad for my veins. She just turns around and goes, eat your breakfast, Dell. Again, really spitefully. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like, so. obviously, she, spoiler alert, she does end up kind of walking out of them a bit later in this episode and stuff, but there's definitely setting the seeds for, like, her being, like, really fucking vicious at this point. Yeah, because, I mean, Dell, he's not really been horrible to her, but he's been a bit of a dick around her a few times, and she's always put up with it, but this is just the straw that broke the camel's back, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely is, and like you say, in any relationship, I know, obviously, this is comedy and fiction and all that stuff but yeah enough is enough sometimes isn't it and you do get to the point where you're kind of like you know what i can had enough of this and suddenly you lose your sense of humor a little bit about little things absolutely yeah and then raquel goes out and she phones cassandra and um this is when cassandra says that her and rodney been trying for a baby and i do like the way dell comes in and the timing by um tessa peak jones i don't know how many times it took her to do it but when she slammed, well, sort of puts the aerial down and puts the phone down really quickly just before David Jason sort of notices or Dell notices. I've, I've always thought that's really good timing. I wonder if she managed it the first time. Yeah, it is brilliant. We've said before, haven't we, like some of the timings when people just walk in or they turn around or do something, it's always been spot on on this show. I'd love to have obviously just been a fly on the wall or just on set watching them do some of this stuff because it's really good. And we also get um, 
it's not like hardcore or anything, but it's quite a provocative angle of Cassandra we get, isn't it, when it cuts to her and everything on the phone. She's doing all these like weird exercises and stuff. And it's like, oh, what type of show are we watching now? Yeah, right. It's quite funny, isn't it, when she's doing her exercises. It's definitely a weird angle. <laughs> There's one bit in here, and it is funny, but it's also a bit fucking stupid. Albert is like out in the living room still, and Raquel goes out there, and she's like, time for your wash. And Albert gets up and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> It does make me laugh, but I'm thinking, surely he didn't think that she meant he was going for a wash and she was going to do it for him. I mean, is that what happens in a trotter household? I don't know. It's such a dopey little walk he does. He sort of turns around and goes, oh, okay. And starts like plodding off left and finish. like, not you, Albert. He's like, ooh, does his little fucking dance. But yeah, it is a good one. I don't know if it's just trying to play on the fact that, you know, Raquel's pissed off and it's not just Dale pissing her off, it's like Albert and everyone's getting on their nerves at this point. And then Dale obviously says that um, he's dropped beans on the on the floor and she thinks he means um, Damien at first. And he says, oh, no, it's Albert. Or they get the, She's like, oh, go and pick him up. And he's like, no, the mucky old soul can pick him up himself. Then she clocks it was Albert. But then when Dale goes back in and he treads on them, the baked beans fart. They make a really weird noise. It's all going <laughs> when he treads on them. I wonder if that's a sound effect put in there for a joke or if it just happened to make that particular noise when he stood on him. I mean, it couldn't have done, really, because there's no mic or anything to pick it up. But, yeah, it's a little bit slapstick, isn't it? Just the whole kind of, like, smushy fart noise. It is, but I like the way that Albert gives Dale the, the relate leaflet and he says, oh, you know, I know you and uh, Raquel are having a few problems. I've got this for you. And then Dale's like, oh, yeah, I could really use that. But as Albert turns away, he uses it to wipe the beans off his foot, doesn't he? But then when Rodney comes in, Dale's on the phone to Cass and um, Albert thinks he's phoning Relate and this is obviously when the, the joke plays out with um, Rodney thinking that Dale's talking to about himself to Relate but he's actually talking about Rodney and Cass and I just love the way that scene's played. Yeah, yeah, it's really clever. It's like that kind of like double kind of, uh, sort of like they're both on different pages, aren't they? But um, it does sort of come together in the end and I did notice one thing is when Rodney comes to the... Um, uh, to Nelson Mandela house the elevators are working that's gonna be like one of the only times they actually work straight away I know good luck for him as well because he gets to the top and he's falling <laughs> asleep and he has to do it again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I just like I say I do love that scene Cassandra comes out and says oh you know if you must know Dale me and Rodney are trying for a baby and at first Dale thinks they're trying there and then aren't they because she's panting because she's doing her exercises she's like no not right now Rodney left half an hour ago and he's like what he left half an hour ago and you're still panting it's fucking brilliant I love that bit that whole section is just so good the way she's like panting and that'd be funny if she was like doing all that why would you stop to answer the phone if you're still going to be doing it you'd you'd stop (laughs) exercising wouldn't you you'd probably even stop and answer the phone or you just ignore it yeah you're right actually I never really thought about that but yeah you you would just ignore it wouldn't you um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Dale's talking to her, and Rodney can only hear Dale's side of the conversation. As I said, he thinks he's talking about himself and he's talking to Relate. And, and the, again, why would you mention this? And even Cass questions it. He says about Damien being nine and a half pounds. She's like, well, how, what's the baby's weight got to do with it? And then Dale's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter how big it is. And obviously, <laughs> Rodney thinks he's talking about, you know, Dale's manhood, but he's actually talking about Rodney. but obviously not Rodney's manhood, but he hasn't heard the other side of the story. But then when Cassandra, uh, Raquel's like, who are you talking to? And there was like, Cassandra, Rodney's face. And when he runs in the kitchen, it's a picture, isn't it? It's amazing, yeah, because he's up there, like, eavesdropping and giggling and everything. And typical Nicholas Lindhurst, his face just completely drops, almost hits the floor, and he's fucking judging in there. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, Cassandra, why are you discussing our private life with him? This will all be down the nag's head by lunchtime. But... <laughs> <laughs> and then again I'm watching the DVD version here and it's the same on gold it seems to cut really abruptly to Rodney and Dale in the car driving along with the van I don't know if there is a cut there or that's how it was originally shot because then Dale's talking about his tooth and everything first time we hear that Dale's got a manky tooth as Rodney likes to say and I do like it when he's like you want to go somewhere with that tooth and Dale's like I'll go everywhere with it it's in me stuck in me bloody head isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I've had like bad fucking toothaches in the past and they're bloody horrible mm. and everything so the fact that he's like playing it strong obviously with how niggling and how painful it is and everything is you know pretty accurate because they're fucking horrible but you're right it is a bit of a um a sharp transition there it's not even like a fade out or like a kind of like an end of sort of joke sequence and then it cuts it just literally like you say almost like there should be something in between yeah i've always thought maybe there is a missing scene now i don't know um can't remember that far back to when it was originally aired obviously but 
it's weird as well in the, in the van you can see here that Dell is kind of pissed off with Raquel as well because the song comes on the radio conveniently it happens to be Raquel's favourite song another TV 101 here so it happens to come on and Dell's like uh, Rodney's like do you want me to turn it off and Rodney's, uh, Dell's like no no it reminds me of Raquel and everything and about 10 seconds later he's like yeah actually turn it off so you can kind of see he's in a bad mood of her as well so it's both ways yeah, and it's just a bit strange seeing them obviously arguing so much. So I can kind of understand um, Raquel, because he's always just out leaving her in the flat and everything and just staying out all night, all hours of the night. And that, that would piss anyone off, obviously, with no explanation, especially if it's fucking Del Boy as well, because you never know what he's going to be <laughs> up to. But like Del, obviously, as we know, he's completely besotted with Raquel. Like He fucking worships the ground she works on, would always do anything for her. To see him in this episode just being so kind of like blasé and just being a bit pissy about her and stuff. It doesn't really, I don't know, there's something about it. It just doesn't seem to work convincingly enough for me. Yeah, I've always thought that as well. The only thing I can think is that Dell, I mean, he doesn't mean to be, but he is quite self-centered, isn't he? So he might not get the fact she's nagging him because he doesn't understand because obviously he's got his own mind and what he's doing. And he's probably so blinkered about getting his bloody VCRs that he hasn't thought about what the effect it's having on her. That's the only thing I can think of. Probably thinking a bit fucking too much into this, really. Yeah, no, it's a fair shout. Um, absolutely. That probably is what it was aimed to be at. I just think the way it was put forward in the show, it doesn't come across as convincing, at least for me anyway, because, again, I've just always considered... It's a bit like when we say, like, Boise cheating on Marley and stuff. It doesn't quite add up, considering how much he kind of treasures her. Um, yeah. It's just one of those sort of things, really. But then we get um, Sid's cap, and I think this is, again, a new interior, but it's the interior I think we keep now for the last few sort of episodes, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. I mean, it looks quite big now, doesn't it, compared to what we've had before? Although in the Royal Flush, it looked quite big again, although probably a different set or different cap they used. But, yeah, we've got Denzel and Trigger in there at first, aren't they? Bloody Denzel's got hair in his porridge, and then Trigger <laughs> wants some as well. <laughs> Yeah, he's just got Jeremy Porridge. So, oh, I was going to go and get some of that. It's like, fucking hell, Trig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, obviously, um, Trig goes on about having his tooth out when Del and Rodney come in. He's like, yeah, I know how you feel. You give them little pet names and you get attracted to them. And they obviously think he's talking about Raquel because they're talking, obviously, about Del and Raquel having a few problems. And <laughs> they're like, oh, no, you know, Del sort of. And then it's weird, isn't it? I think it's. I can't remember if it's Rodney or or um, Denzel. One of them says, oh, you know, Dell loves... Well, um, they won't say he loves her, will they? They won't admit that he loves her. And then, obviously, it turns out the truth talking about his bloody tooth anyway at the end of it all. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, sometimes you just got to get shot of it and it works best in the long run type thing. And again, it's like earlier on on the phone where obviously it was like double angle, him thinking one thing, Rodney thinking another. Um, this is the same again, isn't it? They use it almost back-to-back in scenes. But it works really well. And again, especially when Trigg's doing it, it just makes it even funnier. Yeah, I never thought that. Yeah, you're right. It has happened twice, isn't it? In quick succession in this episode. But then there's a bit, and we've talked about this um, off air, and I think we've even sort of touched on it in a previous episode when we said this is coming up. And it was mentioned in the synopsis there. I hadn't proofread the synopsis beforehand. But the bit where... um, Dell, and he just has that confusing moment. Oh, the redhead. Oh, she worked in the bookies and all that. Turns out it's Marlene. Shock, horror. A bit later on, I mean, I'm sure people know. I just don't see the point in this whole bit. And it goes on for a fair old while. And it seems to be just a waste of a couple of minutes of airtime to me. I'm so glad you said that because I've got that here in mind. You know, they're listing all his girlfriends and everything. And I'm just thinking, obviously, it's hinting at his past with Marlene, which is a good little kind of twist around when it gets revealed later on. I think it's done really well. I was just thinking, like, man, this scene is really going on because I listed all these girlfriends, girls' names and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, they could have just done one or two of these, but it does literally feel like it goes on for fucking ages. And the episode would have been 60 minutes if they cut this scene out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just a bit of a weird one. I mean, we've obviously had hints before that Del and Marlene had something back in the day and it would appear they did. Um, it was only a month, apparently, according to the sort of dialogue. But anyway, yeah, I just always thought that seemed a bit strange and a bit drawn out. Um, then he cuts to the one-to-one club and um, Dale's smashing the old roulette in there. Rodney just sort of turns up out of the blue to help him. Um, and then Boyce is there as well. It's like just randomly pops up and moans he can only afford one holiday in Barbados this year. So Dale sort of winds him up, doesn't he, about the riots and everything. And they might go to his car lot because Boyce has just been his usual snobby self. 
Yeah, them boys like, oh, I'll make sure you get these guys a drink and I'll put it on my tab, please, barkeep, and sort of wanders off and everything. This casino here, I, f- I meant to look into this, the one-to-one club, is that the same, supposed to be the same club? I know it's not the same set or interior, but the same one from Chain Gang? Yes, I believe it is, yeah, where uh, Dale first meets Cass, obviously, when Rodney brings her in. Yeah, I think it is, you're right, because um, it gets mentioned a few times, the one-to-one club. I think the Robbie Meadows episode... Dale says you still get down the one-to-one club so it is sort of mentioned a few times so yeah I'm pretty sure it would be the same casino yeah yeah I just couldn't tell it's obviously it's a different set completely and could have easily been renovated I just for some reason I was like I couldn't remember what it was called in Chain Gang but yeah that makes sense now yeah I'm pretty sure it is yeah you're right um just a random spot that I always notice um when Dale's um, playing roulette, there's a guy next to him who looks like Gus Fring from Breaking Bad, just a younger version of him. I don't know if you've ever noticed him. I've never noticed him. Maybe he was starting Los Palos Hermanos like in Peckham and it didn't take off or something, so he moved over to Albuquerque. Who knows? Maybe. Next time you watch this, just have a look at him when Dale's playing roulette. He's just sort of there next to him. But then, again, another thing that I don't think really rings very true. Dale tells Rodney about this bloody video recorder or camcorder thing he's trying to put off of Ronnie Nelson he's like he's got 650 of them where the fuck is he going to store 650 of those bloody video cameras they're massive they are don't like when we see them later on I mean like most things rushing it looks like it's powered by nuclear energy it's fucking massive it's literally like a fucking tank isn't it on he's not got like geezer with it on his shoulder and everything but yeah I don't know where he's going to store them. there's only so much room in his garage we know he's already been bollocked for having too much stuff in the spare room don't, don't we I know. I mean, I know Dale buys lots of random crap, but surely even he wouldn't buy 650 of things. I mean, that's a lot to try and shift, isn't it? Particularly if they're dodgy, which we know they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they say here, like, it's either Rodney or Dale, he loses like 50 quid on the roulette. I think it must be Rodney. I did mean to look in, but I think about 50 quid by today's standards, that's got to be pushing 170 or something, or 200, maybe more, isn't it? That's quite a lot of dough. Yeah, that is a fair bit, and particularly Rodney, that's probably a month's wages for him at this point. <laughs> but it's quite good as well, though, isn't it? Because he, he says, oh, I'm not going to have a bet. The, you know, the, the uh, casino owner always wins. Dell's sort of making a few wins here and there. And then Rodney sort of, as he sees Dell raking in the, the coins, well, the uh, counters, he's like, yeah, fuck me. And then off he goes, I'm going to get some chips. So he gives in fairly easily, doesn't he? And then that's when we see Dell, lo- he loses everything. And then Rodney's got one last fucking chip left, isn't he? And he's like, red, red, red. And again, this seems drawn out, but it sort of give it a little bit of a dramatic effect. It lands on black. And Rodney's just like, shit. And that's one they never cut out on gold. That's always left in, no matter what time of the day it's on. Yeah, I watched the gold version of this again, just because it was easier for my setup at the moment. Um, so I watch it sort of like, while I'm sort of like on a break from work. So I watch on my laptop on Now TV. And yeah, shit was in there. And I thought, oh, I wonder if that's actually in the daytime version. We also get the little gag as well, don't we, at the bar when Dell turns around and there's that woman with the kind of the low cut top and the pushed up Jalalabads, as it were. And he turns around the Rodney and he goes, oh, for a minute, there, I thought right said Fred walked in. I always thought that was fucking a great joke. <laughs> yeah, and then Rodney starts laughing. He sort of stares at her and then this fucking huge bloke comes sort of from behind her. He sort of appears from nowhere and Rodney's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know how he just magically appears because again, like you say, he's a massive bloke, like twice the size of the woman, and he just kind of appears out of a fucking shadow, like Dracula. It's like, where were you hiding? <laughs> well, I've always thought it was a bit strange the way he just appears, but fair play, it's well shot. But just before we do move on, obviously it said it there in the synopsis. How the fuck did they not notice they were in there till eight o'clock in the morning? I mean, and I know you can get lost in what you're doing, but not for like I don't know how many hours that would have been. Say Rodney got there eleven, twelve o'clock. You wouldn't sort of fucking lose eight hours of time, would you? No, you wouldn't. I know, like, Del Boy's got, like, a liver of steel almost. He's been necking back pina coladas and scotches and whatever he's been drinking all night. He's fucking, I don't know, Bailey's and Lucasade or whatever he's thought up. <laughs> drinking that all night long, like, you'd be fucking pissed as a fire, wouldn't you? And they come outside and they're stone cold sober and they're like, oh, fuck no. Or don't say fucking out. It's like, oh, there's daylight and everything. Yeah, and again, talking of cuts, I don't know if this is cut, but it it's cut straight to, like, the market, doesn't it? There's no scene of them sort of going anywhere or I don't know if it was supposed to be but you just cut straight to Dell selling the ski gear which we're about to come on to now yeah I mean I know they obviously rush around and everything to make uh, a sale and everything but they would have been fucking absolutely knackered and tired wouldn't they they'd been on their feet all day before there was a Rodney sorry is already tired because he's shagging bloody Cassandra every five minutes as we find out later um yeah we should all you know it's not bad for everyone um 
And then they've obviously been gambling all night long and drinking. They'd be so fucking knackered. I would be anyway. I'd need to go to bed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wouldn't be able to drive. But that doesn't seem to bother either of them, does it? Particularly <laughs> Dell. But anyway, let's do see what happens next because um, it's about the ski gear. So at the market, Dell and Rodney are selling ski gear until Cassandra calls Rodney back to their flat. Rodney is surprised when he finds Raquel and Damien in the flat. Raquel explains that she's left Dell and Rodney and Cassandra let her and Damien stay at the flat until he until Dell apologises. Later at the Nags Head, Boise, Dell, Denzel, Mike and Trigger discuss their problems with women. Boise then tells them about how he met a woman in the same betting shop when he was also younger and it turns out to be Marlene. Although it was established in earlier series that Marlene had attended school with Dell and his friends when they were all younger. Good show actually there from the person who wrote this. Albert then enters to inform Dale that Raquel has left him. That afternoon, Rodney forces a reluctant Dale to go to the dentist. The dentist is able to remove the bad tooth from Dale's mouth. Dale then arranges a date with an attractive receptionist called Beverly. So, as I said there, and I've just I've got it at the top of my notes after that a little bit there, it does look like this is just cut the way it goes straight to the market, but Rodney doesn't look a right fucking plonker in that ski gear. Obviously, he's meant to, but I do like it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, we get a lot of these and there's more to come as well, which I'm looking forward to. Um, but it's just such an ongoing gag, isn't it? Like what in every episode, it's like, what can we get Rodden to wear that just looks so fucking stupid? <laughs> he comes out from behind the fucking thing and he's like, fucking, I don't know, he's just like Mr. Motivator's bit on the side, doesn't he? It's all just fucking bright colours and shit. And it's like, fuck, you know, but it is amazing. And his face is just such a picture. And the sales pitch as well. And he's like, and the one country that leads the world in ski gear, namely Fiji, which is probably the <laughs> furthest away from a country you think of ski gear. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous, but good old Dell, he gives it a try, doesn't he? He does. And then obviously Cass phones, and Dell actually seems to have a mobile phone that works at this point. I think it's one of those Motorola Star Tacky type things. I had one of those. I think it's the first ever mobile phone I had, but it does actually work. So he must have bought that one properly rather than one of his hooky jobs. Yeah, well, there's no TVs around to um, find out if it's still messing up the area. It was like there's ones from the Driscolls. But, yeah, he gets a call. That's when he's got to fucking go home. And that's when he, Rodney goes charging into his living room with his fucking trousers down and finds Raquel sat in there. <laughs> there's a great line as well from Dell at the market just before Rodney does charge off. And he's like, you know, I need to go home. And Dell's like, well, you know, can't you wait? She'll keep everything. And, Del's, and Rodney's like, no. She's probably at the right temperature. Dale's like, stone me, Rodney. What are you trying for, a baby or a barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Like that. But as you say there, though, he goes marching in or fucking steaming into the living room, <laughs> pulls his trousers down. Cass, I'm home. It's like he jumped the gun a little bit, hadn't he? Thinking, you know, that's what she wanted him home for. Definitely, yeah. I mean, he runs in there. He's got his boxer shorts that are about the size of a fucking bedsheet, for Christ's sake. But then he's quite a tall guy. But one thing as well I noticed, and it was just um, the colour of what she was wearing. But at first I thought Cassandra's got no trousers on either because she's wearing that kind of like a skirt, but it's like a kind of skin coloured one. And from the first angle when it comes in, I'm like, fuck no, she just sat there in a blouse as well. What's going on? <laughs> I've never noticed that before. I'll tell you what, though, it's a good job Rodney wasn't going commando, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Christ, yeah. Go on in with the old Lynn Hurst swinging around. <laughs> but also, right, why is Cass at home and not at the bank? It looks like she's dressed for work. Obviously, you say she's got like, um, doesn't look like she's got a skirt on, but she's got a fairly smart top on, if I remember rightly. Maybe she's on a lunch break, I guess, but she never seems to be at work, does she? No, she doesn't. The only time she's at work is when Rodney tries to call her. Then she'll be at work in a random <laughs> reception. But any other time, she's either at the market or she just appears in the pub. They got it easy these days, or back then, should I say? <laughs> Seem to have, don't they? But then obviously Rodney gets left alone with Damien randomly, and we get the little sort of cutscene that we always get. Um, for some reason, Raquel decides she's going to go and help Cassandra make some a cup of tea or something. But it's obviously just to leave Rodney with Damien and realise, shit, I'm going to have to live with this person or this kid for a couple of days. Yeah, which is always a bit of a funny dynamic. We get quite a good scene later on with uh, Damien um, in the bedroom. We do, don't we? Yeah. And then it cuts to the nag's head, as the, the synopsis said there. And again, it's a bit of a pointless scene, isn't it? It's obviously just a little bit to show that Dell and Marlene did have a, a thing back in the day. But as the synopsis said there, that they knew each other from school. So um, that was definitely um, pretty out of place. And for once, John Sutherland continuity wasn't so good there. No, it wasn't at all. And um, I know what you mean about this scene, because it's another one that just goes on for ages. But even though it's got a funny line about, like, you know, the why ask sort of thing, and obviously Trig gets involved as well. Um, yeah, I always thought this scene goes on a bit too long. But we do get um, 
Kareem being mentioned, don't we? And obviously, we do. You know, the actress passed away and everything, but they're still keeping the character kind of in spirit as such because Denzel mentions her a couple of times. Yeah, I think she does get mentioned a couple more times before it all comes to an end as well. But I like it when Dale says, Oh, Raquel would never leave me. And now what comes in, talks about some ski gear and a couple of phone calls, the calls that Dale's had while he's been out. And he's like, Oh, yeah, and Raquel's left ya. <laughs> I love the way he says that. <laughs> I do like that we get the typical voice in everything because he's doing like, you know, what me, not respecting my own wife, daft old mare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's just voicing it, it's his bravado because we know he does think the world of Marlene, as we've said countless times before. But there's, there's another really quick cut here as well. It just cuts to Rodney and Dell outside the dentist, doesn't it? Like, I don't know, again, if it was shot that way or whether there's something missing, but it just seems another quick cut. Maybe it's a, a trait of this actually episode, I don't know. It seems to be, doesn't it? Because now without mentioning it, it does seem to cut pretty abruptly from place to place. Considering they had longer to edit it, I'd have expected this sort of abrupt cutting on the previous episode. Like the show, they only had like 24 hours to turn it around, but maybe that's just something they were going for. But yeah, and this is where it goes <laughs> in the fucking dentist. This is amazing. And this is like the kind of the, the core of the episode for me. Whenever I think of this one, it's like, yeah, this is the best scene of this entire episode, I think. Yeah, it's one of the best lines of, of all in Only Fools and Horses. We've said a few times, haven't we? I mean, we get Dale and Rodney outside at first and Dale shit scared of dentists. Dentists, doctors and God are pretty much the things he doesn't like in life. Um, and Rodney does mug him off, doesn't he? He sort of says, you come with me, Rodney. And he starts to walk with Dale and he goes, nope, I'm going to go back to the van and have a kip. And Dale's like, oh, for God's sake. And then his teeth starts hurting. So he thinks, fuck it, I'm going to have to go in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole scene with Dale in the dentist chair, the first thing he does is fucking drink the whole glass of that bloody stuff there <laughs> to wash your mouth out. And the dentist is like, when did you last visit or was the last dentist you saw? And he comes out with his dentist name, who I can't remember. And he's like, he died the night of the Queen's coronation or whatever. And Dale's like, all right. So you have regular checkups there, Mr. Trotter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So every 16 years or whatever it is, Dale's like, well, yeah, well, you can't really be too careful when it comes to your choppers, can you? Whatever he said. <laughs> it is it's it's on par when he goes to see um the doctor isn't it um uh, the one <laughs> yeah. from new delhi and everything it's like that but obviously just a dentist and the banter del comes out with and the bullshit he spins to these fucking people is amazing <laughs> and then obviously we get the line that we're alluding to there <laughs> he's like again i mean i haven't been to the dentist for a while i shouldn't really say this because i'm you know it's not great but i don't like fucking dentists and i avoid them when i can i only go when my, i've got toothache but a bit like del really um but then um, so the dentist says oh you know you're gonna have to have that tooth out and does it oh, oh you know i make an appointment oh no we just do it now is that a thing because I, I thought they did send you away and say you have to come back or do they do it there and then i don't know uh, i'm not too sure i mean i i'd have a tooth out a couple of years ago and i think i had to be booked in for it because once they looked at it and they're like yeah that tooth like fucked basically i think i cracked it or something they put like a random cap on it so it would stop hurting, but then I had to book it for like another two weeks and stuff. So, or however long it was. So maybe back then, obviously it was a bit different, but he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll take it out now. He goes, oh, no, no, my brother's in the car and all that sort of stuff. And we get the whole kind of, oh, just a little prick. Oh, you know him, do you? That fucking line is incredible. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> he pulls up the needle, just a little prick. Well, you know him then, do you? And then the way the dentist goes down with a needle into Dell, like the action is so over the top, isn't it? But I think it just works. It's like a really shit, like 70s horror movie, isn't it? And why his chair? Well, like Dell was nearly upside down at this point because he goes down so low on his fucking chair. And the dentist, like, he's like, going in there. You see some fucking psycho music going on. And then obviously, Dell goes outside to uh, make the jollop work, as he says. And this is when he, he meets Beverly. Um, a bit of a coincidence is she also had a son named Damien as well, didn't he? I mean, was it a common name back then? I wouldn't have thought so. I don't really know any Damien's, I don't think. No, I don't think I know any, actually. Um, not in person, anyway. And so grandson, isn't it, I think she said, because then he's like, oh, yeah. you've you got a grandson. You can't be. You only look about, you know, like fucking 20 or whatever, really kind of like laying it on thick. Yeah, it's a grandson. Sorry, I've even got that here. Beverly's daughter's got a son called Damien. But yeah, he's probably cheesing her up, isn't he? He's like, oh, you... A grand, you've got a grandson now, I'd have put you down for your late 20s, properly fucking like, I mean, yeah, she doesn't probably look like a grandmother, but she doesn't look like she's in her 20s, but anyway, this is Dale, isn't it, like laying it on thick, and then Rodney comes bursting in going, Dale, there's a rat in the van, here's <laughs> again, because I'm for ages, but this is really funny, what do you mean, well there's a rat in the van, what are you trying to say, I'm trying to tell you, there is a rat in the van. <laughs> 
I do like it. And even though it says it backwards, then it goes, in the van, there's a rat. What do you mean? There's a rat in the van. In the van, there's a rat. It's just like going on. It's like, that's Jerry the gerbil. I got it for Damien. Yeah, because Rodney's like, gerbil? What? Oh, for Damien. Obviously, he sends Rodney back out because he sort of gives him a nod. I'm you know, chatting up the receptionist. He sends Rodney back out to get the gerbil in the cage. And obviously Beverly's sort of she's pretty forthcoming about the fact she's divorced, but it has been seven or eight years, whatever she says. And she's like, I don't think you ever heal, do you? And Dale's like, No, no. So when did your relationship break up then? This morning. Always <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> don't hang about, does he? I do like the bit as well, because he's got the numbing stuff in and he fills out a few documents. He's like, and he goes to like, oh, I'll just shit here. He's about to go and sit down. <laughs> yeah, it's good, and then that's the way it when it cuts away again another quite abrupt cut which is um bit now so um that night in nelson mandela house the russian camcorders have arrived but rodney discovers that they are too heavy and the video cassettes are too wide for uk vcrs delboy dressed in his gordon gecko outfit tells rodney and albert about his date with beverly they believe that Dale was making a big mistake and successfully talk him out of his date Dale cancels the date by leaving a message on Beverly's answering machine, which does come to play a big part at the end. Later, back at the flat, Rodney tells Cassandra about the time Dale had a violent fight with his father over Dale selling some Tom Jones LPs instead of attending his O-level school exams, which got him eight grade A's. Dale stood for absent, though. The next evening at Nags Head, after Albert tells another one of his boring war stories, Dale enters and Rodney berates him for ignoring Raquel. Dale finally phones Raquel, apologises to her and promises that he'll stop gambling from now on and they can still go to the night's head on weekends. After he promises to pick up both her and Damien the following night, Dale celebrates with a big bottle of champagne, which I imagine he would never have paid for. Um, and again, as I said at the sort of start here, those camcorders, Rodney's obviously got one and it's fucking huge. He's got 650 of them. It just doesn't ring through. No, it doesn't. And they are fucking ridiculous. And that's the bit that makes me laugh. It's funny, it's like the Russian VCR is from Volvo Grad. It's like, what, you just put fucking Grad behind something and suddenly it's a Russian location. Exactly. Yeah, because he, he says, um, obviously, Rodney gets to the tape and he says, they don't fit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's all right. Ronnie Nelson's got 650 VCRs coming from Volvo Grad. So he's going to have another 650 boxes. Fuck me. What's he got? A warehouse? He must have at this point, yeah. I mean, this is a bit as well because obviously Dale gets all tarted up and he says he's going on the um the date and everything. And we actually get Rodney giving a heart to heart and actually talking sense into him for once, isn't it? Because he kind of talks Dale out of it, really. Um, usually it's the other way around. Like Dale usually, you know, comes along and sort of speaks a bit of heart to heart to Rodney to calm him down. But we actually get to see the tables turn this time. Yeah, exactly. I do like it when Rodney's like, was oh, this in some other like young tart or something? He's like, oh no, actually it's a grandmother. Rodney's like, a grandmother? Well, perhaps you can bring your sister along for him and points at Albert. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> brilliant. <laughs> and then um, obviously Dale's like, you know, my relationship broke up. It's horrible here now with just me and Albert. Dale's like, and Rodney's like, Dale, she's left you for longer when she's been shopping. Yeah, he's weird. I don't know. It's just. It's just weird how they've gone with this episode and the way they've done it. It's funny, don't get me wrong, but you would have thought Dell would have, wouldn't have just given up this easily. But then I suppose it's the whole principle, isn't it? It's like, no one walks out on me, I'm Dell boy, that sort of thing. Even though he's uh, been engaged more times than the switchboard, as we know from Rodney. Yeah, and also, I mean, again, this is Dell and his way of thinking, I guess, but he doesn't seem to think that taking Beverly out for a meal is cheating. And, you know, it doesn't imply anything's going to happen, but... I know for a fact, if I fucking said to Kirsty, I'm going out with this woman tonight for a meal, she wouldn't be overly happy about it. No, and she'd be right to be pissed off as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? That he's like, yeah, I'm just taking her out for a meal. So I'm like, yeah, okay, but that could lead to something else. And was it, they always says, oh yeah, tomorrow I'll take her to a spudge you like or something. <laughs> Brilliant. There's a, um, the bit that comes up next, obviously we get Rodney and um, Cassandra getting a bit saucy in the bedroom and fucking Damien appears at the bottom but there's a bit here that I've got a big issue with continuity wise because Rodney obviously tells a story like it hinted to there you know about the Tom Jones LPs and all that sort of stuff but he wouldn't remember that we already know Rodney has no direct memories of his mum because he died when he was a she died when he was a baby so this whole story he tells makes no sense because he wouldn't have actually had this memory in the first place Oh, absolutely. I've never thought of that, but you're spot on. Yeah, you're right. He, he said in many a previous episode that he doesn't remember anything about his mum. He was only three or whatever. 
fuck me. Yeah, good shout though, Pedro. I never thought about that. Yeah, it just always kind of bugged me a little bit because we even get, I mean, it's one of the really early episodes when they're sat in the graveyard. It's the one where they fucking paint the Chinese restaurant like fluorescent yellow or something. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he even says to Dell, then it's like, you've got all these memories of mum. I don't remember anything other than what you tell me. I just feel cheated. And like you said, several other times, he's pointed out that he doesn't even know what his mum looks like um, at times and stuff. So the fact that he has a specific memory of everything, just again, it doesn't line up. Absolutely spot on. No, really good shout there. Just before the scene obviously with Cass and Rodney in that story which is a good story to be fair but it's another 101 here isn't it Rodney uh, Dale just happens to leave the message on Beverly's answer machine which comes to play a big part at the end of all the answer machines in the world obviously it's Beverly's which happens to sort of come around full circle yeah yeah absolutely but again it kind of brings around the kind of the way the episode ends basically but yeah just again 101 isn't it (laughs) yeah um we get a little cut to the nag's head as well here, don't we? Rodney's trying to save the whales. He's got his fucking, don't know why he's got this charity thing. What charity is he working for? We never hear Rodney working for anyone, do we, apart from Dell and obviously Alan that time. So he's like, um, you know, where's he going to give this money? Because surely, I don't know, anyway, that's another thought. But Albert tells a story about the whale trying to have sex with a submarine. That's a great story. One of Albert's best, I think. I love it. And I also like the fact that Albert's kind of like, building up to something and you can got Rodney in the background counting down he's like five yeah four three and then at the same time it's like during the war and he's just like oh my god his head just falls into his hands as Albert starts going off on one <laughs> yeah and then Doughboy comes in and Rodney persuades him to talk uh, to Raquel as it said there and he phones her <laughs> and he's giving this big spiel isn't he about how he loves her and he wants her to come back or he doesn't say he loves her because Dale doesn't ever admit that sort of thing but you know, you have all this and he's going to change and blah, blah, blah. And it turns out it's Cass he's talking to all along. Yeah, absolutely. And again, why you wouldn't fucking notice? Because she would have been the one who answered the phone anyway. But <laughs> there you go. And there's also the bit where Dell walks in and um, Rodney's like, oh, Dell, do you want to got some money for the pot? And he goes, yeah, what's it for? And Albert's like, he's trying to save Wales. Oh, you're not having any money for me. Not after they beat us at rugby last year. <laughs> yeah oh dear and then Beverly just randomly walks past at this point doesn't she this is where she sort of starts popping up and sort of haunting down inverted commas and then he's talking to Boise at the time and Bronco gets a mention as well here which makes Dale sort of start thinking when um he finds out that um obviously Dale, uh, uh, I can't even think now um, Beverly was a receptionist wasn't she at the mental hospital that um Bronco was in but at this point Dale hasn't realized that yeah yeah that's a good point and I'm not sure how I felt about this bit where he keeps seeing I mean they kind of make sense later when they speak because he thinks she's stalking him but she obviously thinks he's stalking her because they're both mm. wherever the other one tends to go but it is a little bit strange because it doesn't make sense the conversation they have at the end because she always just gives him this really kind of like nice pleasant smile maybe that's just supposed to be the sort of character she is and another thing in this scene as well is like Mike hands out like a free drink to Dell, and it's like normally he's moaning about Dell never paying his slate but now he's offering him a free drink I know, Dale just walks in, he's like, oh, yeah, a large scotch. And Dale's like, what? And then Rodney's like, you can't just give him scotches. Oh, yeah, that'll be, what, one pound something back then. Dale's like, I didn't even bloody ask for it. But, yeah, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Of all the times, you have to give him a free drink. It's the one time Rodney said, don't give him any more. He's drinking too much. Yeah, again, it's just done for comedy value more than anything else, but it does make no sense. Like, Mike's just all over the place with Dale, isn't he? Why don't he's, like, moaning about him? And the next thing, he's buying all his shitty gear and giving him free drinks. Yeah, I know. I mean, he does always stick up for Dale. I mean, he did when um, Slater was in town that time. And he said he was a nice guy and his heart's in the right place. But obviously, that's going back a few weeks now, a few months probably since we last did that one. But when Dale does finally get to speak to Raquel after she comes out of the toilet, wherever she's been, um, she gives in pretty easily, doesn't she? After all the shit she's been through, Dale just gives him gives her a few sort of one-liners. She's like, all right. And she sort of agrees to come back to him. And I'm for, after all this, you've walked out on him. You know, I suppose you've made your point, but you do seem to give in a little bit easy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, this is Del Trotter we're talking about. He, you know, he tries to keep his word, but you know he never does. So, like, she sort of goes along with it, as you say. But, again, it is that sort of happy ending thing. I just thought, like you did, you said there, you know, it's just like, considering you've actually taken that big step to pack your bags and move out, obviously, and take your child with you as well. You know, it's a big step just to turn around and be like, actually, no, I'm going to come back now. Maybe she thought he's learned his lesson. You know, that was the, the thing that he needed to realise that I was serious. And he can't mess about. I don't know. But he's like, Raquel, say the magic words. And she's like, I love you, Trotter. And he's like, yes. But he, again, he won't say it back, will he? 
No, no, he won't. I don't think he does he say it at all throughout the whole thing. I don't think he does, does he? I just thought that as I was reading that line, I thought, does he ever tell him he loves it? He must do. I'm sure he must. We'll have to look out for it in the remaining episodes. And just before we do move on, um, obviously he says to Raquel, he's going he's gonna to change. He'll just go down the nags edit weekends and everything. He's a changed man. He'll sit there with his cup of tea and hobnobs. The minute he gets off the phone, he orders a fucking bottle of champagne. Yeah, he fucking does. And he really champagne. Mike must have like uh, yeah, <laughs> unlimited supplies of champagne. And no one ever bloody drinks it. Like we said the other day, they had a table full of it and no one actually even took a sip. It was a nightmare. Maybe that's why he's got so much of it. He just pours it back in the bottles and just keeps <laughs> reusing it because Dale doesn't fucking pay for it either, does he? Nah. And there's um the bit here where he walks through and he's like singing and he starts to riot. One of the guys up on the balcony, I don't remember the actor's name, but he was in EastEnders, and I swear he played one of the Slaters in there. Not Slater, but yeah, he's um, <laughs> one of the Slater family um, from EastEnders. I just don't know why. He's got a very distinct face, and I remembered. Absolutely, and I've got that here in my notes, Brad Roll. So let's have a look at that bit then, shall we? So later that night, Dale returns home drunk from too much champagne and decides to sing the song One Voice, which starts a riot between some of the neighbours. Albert phones Rodney to tell him that Dale's singing, and Rodney heads over to Nelson Mandela house. Dale later goes down to the riot to sell some ski gear. The next morning at the market, while unloading the Russian VCRs, Dale spots Beverly, who was in the nags head the previous night, and becomes frightened she may be stalking him. That night, Dale picks up Raquel and Damien in the Capri gear, and they return home during another riot. Dale beeps his horn and the rioters and the police clear the way for him. He passes through, stopping to inform the occasional person about something they are buying off him, and when out of the way, promptly sounds his horn to which the riot resumes. The following day, Dale comes home from work only to see Beverly in his flat because she wants Damien's high chair for her grandson, who is also named Damien. Dale rushes over to the nag's head to tell Rodney that Beverly is stalking him because he believes she is an ex-patient in the psychiatric ward. Boise had mentioned this to her, uh, mentioned he had seen her before visiting Marlene's brother, Bronco. Rodney does not believe him, but Dale tells him to deliver the high chair to Beverly. At the dentist, Dale finally decides to confront Beverly and tell her to leave him and his family alone but Beverly tells Dale that she thought he was stalking her, as well as mentioned that the date they arranged to go on was a big mistake. Beverly then explains to Dale that she previously worked at the psychiatric hospital as a receptionist. No longer frightened, Dale promises to leave Beverly alone. So there is one little last bit after this, um, which I thought was a bit weird, the last part, but we'll get to that. But David Jason, again, we've said it countless times before, he plays a bloody good drunk, doesn't he? He does, he does it really well, and like the way he's kind of like just... His legs are all over the place and he's singing and all that sort of stuff. And he ends up starting that riot. Brilliant. Yeah. Derek Martin is the name of the guy. He played Roy Slater. So, yeah, he oh, is one of the neighbours down having a row. Um, yeah, he, he didn't actually change, I don't think, from this to when he was in EastEnders, which is probably a good 10 years later. He still looks the bloody same. Um, but His character was called Roy Slater in EastEnders. That's what I've got here in my notes. It's amazing. Oh, that's that, is that like Roy Slater? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put, you know what, I didn't even put two and two together. I'm going to have to double check that because that's what I've got in my notes. That couldn't just be me typing it and thinking of Roy. I don't know. I'm going to have to double check that though, definitely. I'll, I'll get back to you on that bread roll. <laughs> I never even thought until you said that. But when Albert phones Rodney and he says that they were singing in the precinct, he's like, um, what do you mean, come around? What do you want me to do? Harmonise with him? There's some great one-liners in this episode. Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. There's a bit as well where Albert's got like a sandwich and Dale just walks over and starts eating it. And he gives it back to Albert and he just carries on eating whatever's left. He does, doesn't he? He does that quite often, actually. But Dale comes out of his bedroom, doesn't he, when Rodney's back there. And he's like, oh, keep the noise down, guys. We'll turn the TV down or something. And Rodney's like, they're bloody rioting out there again. Dale's like, well, what started them off this time? And he's like, you did. And Dale's like, me? <laughs> So, yeah, you were singing, and then Dale suddenly realises or remembers, oh, yeah, I was singing, wasn't I? I mean, he must have been pretty fucking drunk. He must have been, yeah. I mean, considering, like, he's been drinking all night in the casino, like, a few scenes ago, and he came out sober as a judge, and now he's had a few sherbets, and he's just started a fucking riot with his vocal cords. Maybe it's champagne, maybe it goes to his head, unlike Roy, the other way around, I don't know. But the bit there is the synopsis as well, when he goes to pick Raquel and Damien up, we don't see him pick him up, but you see him driving back. I mean, it is funny, but when he just parts the rioters and drives through them like fucking Moses parting the Red Sea, it's probably about as far-fetched as that story. It is, Jen. He's like pulling up and he like leans out one corner and he's like, oh, tell, you know, such and such, I've got the VCR for him. Then he leans out and says to the copper and it's like, oh, tell you, missus, I'll drop that round. Yeah, cheers, Dale, boy. 
but it is so far-fetched. But I'll tell you what, the actual sequence of the riot, I thought was really well shot. Like it actually That's... shot like it was in like a proper serious BBC type sort of like, not the bill, but like something a bit more full on. It does look quite good, doesn't it? And I'm sure I've read somewhere, I could have imagined this, dreamt it or could be completely untrue because it wasn't in the book if I remember rightly but I'm sure I've seen somewhere that that was actually like a, a police training thing for a riot and they filmed it but again I may have made that up so don't take that for gospel at all. Be fair I wouldn't put it past that being the case because that does happen quite commonly in a lot even like mm. Hollywood movies nowadays they kind of like coincide it with real you know, reenactments and bits and pieces to get the authenticity, but they're all there. Like, I'm not saying Only Fools and Horses was low budget or anything, but obviously it wasn't mega business, but it had the horses, all the proper gear and everything, and all the like the people were properly looking like they were going for it. It almost looked like it didn't belong in this type of show, so maybe you're right, it was part of a kind of like a training exercise and they managed to film it. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I've read that somewhere. Something else I might have to research. Um, probably should have done it. I've had five weeks since we bloody did you know, like, <laughs> watch this, but there we go. But they're all wearing Dale's ski gear as well, a lot of them are, so it obviously works when he went down there to sell it to them. But obviously we get another massive coincidence here that Beverly just happens to want to buy the high chair. I mean, there's been we, we've seen quite a few in these episodes, um, but there's quite a few in this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he walks in and just the way they kind of both kind of recognise each other, but then play kind of like oh we don't know each other just meeting for the first time and it's, it's around this bit as well we get this guy who's really over the top like they was walking through like what's left of like from the riot scene and there's a geezer out there he looks like jethro and he's got one of those fucking russian cameras on his shoulder and he's like it's not working and he keeps stopping and shaking it's so over the top the way he's like shaking it and then he tries to film again then he shakes it again it's like yeah mate we get the impression this thing doesn't work you're doing like amateur dramatics with it yeah, they're really emphasising the fact that it doesn't work, don't they? And then, obviously, Dale tells Rodney he's got to go and deliver the high chair after he, he tells him in the nag's head that he thinks Beverly's stalking him. And then he comes back and he's like, oh, no. And it's this sort of dramatic music as he walks up to this boiling pot. Obviously, we think, is it is she a bunny boiler? It's fucking Albert's pants. He pulls them out, but how fucking big are they? It's like, they're <laughs> massive. <laughs> well, he's a sailor. Maybe if he needed a spare sail, he'd whip his cacks off and... You know, sailor ship with them, maybe. Well, it looks like a fucking hammock, doesn't it? And a massive fucking pants he pulls out. And then he starts acting all sketchy around Raquel. And I'm thinking, so you've walked out on him and he's blamed you to come back. And now he's acting all sketchy again. He's like, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go. And he starts acting all weird, but she just seems to take it this time. Yeah, she does. And um, again, you would have thought she might put two and two together because I know it's obviously he's seen Beverly and that's what's making him go all weird and everything. But yeah, it's just really strange, isn't it? And she's just kind of like, okay, I'm fine with it. But at the start of the episode, you were like slinging his food around. Yeah, exactly. And we get another brilliant trick line, don't we, in this bit here, where he goes to the dentist to tell Beverly. And he's like saying that he thinks he's, she's talking and everything. She's like, what's wrong with you, you moron? And Trick just walks out and he's like, oh, no, that's just a couple of fillings. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I mean... Another massive coincidence that Trig just happens to walk out. She says that line, but it's comedy genius that I do like it. I got that idea. Like, he just happens to be at the dentist and then it just happens to walk into the fucking, you know, the reception area at that precise point in time. But like you say, it's comedy gold as well. I mean, Trigger always delivers, doesn't he, with one liners? He does indeed. That's a great line. There's some brilliant lines in this, like I said. And I think Dale's a bit of a dick to Beverly. I mean, obviously, he's got the wrong end of the stick, but she's done nothing wrong and he's probably having a go at her, isn't he? He is, yeah, and considering he's the one who kind of, you know, started it, as we say, probably in the wrong, considering his missus only left him that morning, he doesn't even know they've actually properly split up properly at this point, and he was cheesing her up after his dentist appointment, he was the kind of instigator, but like you say, he's pointing the finger, but as we know, Delboy can never be wrong, can he? No, exactly. Um, so let's have a look at how this one winds up then, bread roll. So back at Nelson Mandela House, the Trotter family are enjoying their Christmas night. As Dale puts Damien to bed, Raquel plugs in Dale's new answering machine, which she acquired from Beverly in return for the high chair, only to hear Dale's message about his cancelled date to Beverly. Dale returns to the lounge, only to get hit by ornaments thrown by Raquel and the entire family end up in a huge argument. Meanwhile, outside, by the new Christmas tree, the group of carol singers sing Silent Night and Beverly looks up at the trotter's flat with a smile, implying that Dale was right and she was out for revenge all along for cancelling their date. Um, yeah, it's, it's a weird ending, this one. I mean, I, I guess maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. It kind of leaves it a little bit open-ended. But I've always been a bit 
not confused just i'm not really a big fan of this ending i don't know about yourself yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean it doesn't seem to because again it's one of those things with these specials it's a one-off thing we never hear from this character again i do like the fact that obviously they tried to put a little bit you know or was she wasn't she at the end of it but it just doesn't work for me at all um i think they should have just left it with him obviously them reconciling and having their piece at the uh the dentist when trig walks out and just left it there because this just doesn't work for me at all no it's definitely a bit strange and i mean just before we, we see sort of beverly down at the christmas tree and they're having their little uh christmas meal and whatever um well christmas drinks <laughs> what the fuck is dale pouring it's green he pours this bloody green drink out but we, i don't know it's dale isn't it and i will say damien goes to bed pretty easily i mean haven't had a child or i've got a child and christmas day they don't get to bed that bloody easily he's like come on damien time for bed and off he goes i'm like fuck me you're lucky yeah right i mean <laughs> that's probably the only way a bit of luck he's had this whole episode really apart from his missus coming back to him but yeah again i've heard stories about how hard children are to get to go to sleep and stuff so yeah fair play to him yeah i mean and also raquel's got dale a second-hand answer machine for christmas which she didn't even pay for she swapped it i mean i know they're hard up but come on raquel seriously yeah and also if you bought a second-hand one you would have thought the person like who sold it to you would have like erased the tape or something beforehand. I mean, data protection, all that stuff. It could have been anyone leaving you a message. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? I mean, again, it's a massive coincidence. It was Beverly's, as I said earlier. There's so many coincidences in this episode, but we've seen them before, and obviously they're done for the comedy values. You can't knock it because at the end of the day, this isn't real life. But also, something I said a few weeks back, um, John Sullivan was saying he wrote every episode with with an actual ending so if he never got to write another one that would be the end of the whole lot this would have been a really shit way to end the whole thing he must have known he had more episodes to come because Darren and Raquel are fighting Rodney and Cassandra fair enough they're cool but you know it would have been an absolute shit way to to leave it all wouldn't it it would yeah because it's a bit of a, as I say it's a bit of an off-kilter episode with just the way Del and Rod um Del and Raquel are behaving towards each other in my opinion it doesn't I don't know, it just doesn't quite sit right with me parts of this episode. Even though I like it overall, it's not one of my all-time favourites or anything like that. But yeah, that was the very last episode. That would have been a really shit ending because it would have ended it on quite a kind of like, not a sour note, but just a kind of a dampener more than anything. Yeah, exactly. And how does Beverly hear them arguing and shouting upstairs? I mean, it cuts away and you don't actually see her throwing things out and just hear it. But I mean, they're on the 12th floor, aren't they? I don't think you'd have heard it from the, the ground floor. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, unless I lived in a flat where the walls are fucking paper thin, but even that would be, you know, be a hell of a lot of noise to travel, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, but overall, I think this is a really good episode. Beverly is a good character, and it does leave it sort of open for you to think what you want to think about what her plans were. Um, and I mean, there are some great lines in it, although even by only fool's sort of standards, it is a bit far-fetched and a bit too coincidence-driven, but still a great episode. I still, still really do like it. Yeah, no, it's fun in its own right. I'm just, there's just parts of it, like from the characterization point of view and continuity, like the whole bit from Rodney when he says about like remembering his mum and stuff. I just felt like that was a bit too sloppy to forget, considering how much of a point they've made in the past of Rodney not having a memory of his mum. That's kind of been like a driving force of his character. Um, to just throw that in there now, I know it served a purpose, but it just felt like really sloppy to kind of throw it in there the way they did. I still can't believe I've never put two and two together with that one because that's a massive plot hole and I've never thought about that before. And obviously the whole Dell and Marlene thing, they two scenes are, are pretty pointless throughout the whole. I mean, they don't really play a part in the episode or the grand scheme of Only Fools and Horses. We've always had the little implications that they had something, him and Marlene back in the day, but we didn't really need that, did we? We didn't know because that makes all his like grab ass and everything seem a little bit more not sinister and everything but even more inappropriate to know that they've actually they were a thing and now they've still kind of like getting on even though they sort of split up and gone their separate ways and the fact that he's always like fucking grabbing her warmly by the arras as boys he would say um now the fact that he's supposed to be with um uh, Raquel and everything it just again doesn't quite sit right it, and again it's nothing that ruins it or anything like that it's just a bit odd yeah I think it's just when you look into these things and you start I mean, we, I'd say analyse, that's quite a strong word for what we do, but we are sort of analysing it in a really sort of flimsy way. But yeah, I mean, when you put two and two together and look at these things, you think, mm, OK, that doesn't really add up. But I don't want to knock Only Fools and Horses because it's the best TV show of all time, hence why we're doing this. So um, let's stop um, pulling it apart, shall we, bread roll, and move on. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a good place to wrap things up, I think. Um, yeah, it is a good episode overall, as I say, apart from a few sort of 
the trifling issues that I have with it, but still a fun one. But of course, um, to our listeners out there, um, sorry we've been on a break for so long. It's not through lack of trying, as JT mentioned at the start. But um, let us know your thoughts on this particular episode and what you think of any of the errors or highlights that we've sort of picked out as we've gone through it. Let us know um, if you like this episode or if you have any more kind of tidbits that you know about it or any of the upcoming episodes. As always, you can get in touch with us at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. Indeedy, yes. Um, so we'll be back next week. I've completely forgotten what the episode will be, but we should be back next week. We'll be in well. No more five-week breaks because um, we really need to wrap this up now because <laughs> we've got a few more things we're thinking about doing. Again, as I said at the start, not that we want to wrap it up, but it is coming to an end because as all good things do. Absolutely, yeah. And hopefully we'll be bringing you some more uh, entertaining nuggets once this one's wrapped up. But that's a story for another time. So as always, thank you very much for joining us. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. And who are your mates, Del? Boise, a Freemason, a total snob who thinks anyone who has a pound less than him is a peasant. Denzel is a man who eats porridge with a wig in it. And Trigger, a road sweeper who gives pet names to his teeth. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices and a straw. Street. Viva Hookie Street